In your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13. I'll read and our focus will be only one verse this morning, but leave your Bibles open. We will, we will grasp it in its context also. Hebrews 13, verse 15. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, instructive, life-giving word to our hearts and souls. This is clear. God created everything that is not God for His glory. He made us human beings in His own image in order to reflect His glory. In myriad ways, but one is clear. He created us, all of us in here born into sin and dead to God. And if you have come to faith in Jesus, He saved you. Not of your own will, but of His will for this goal. That you would praise His name. Let's pray. Father, you're good. Your ways are so good. We're so desperate as Bob just prayed to have the work of your Holy Spirit break through all the junk and crud of our sinful remaining nature. That the work of your Spirit will cause us not, not only to listen carefully, but to see clearly and to love what we see about you. That we would naturally overflow in, in amazement, in praise of this great, glorious Savior. Through Jesus' name, amen. For the last 400 and 75 years or so, one of the most familiar statements outside the Bible within the Christian church is the answer to the second question of the Westminster Catechism. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. In other words, the only way you can truly glorify God. This could be even while in tears and grief. And that is this, to enjoy Him, who He is for you during this present evil age in Christ Jesus. 
In his book, Desiring God, John Piper describes how reading C.S. Lewis helped him grasp this truth. Piper, he writes, Lewis says that as he was beginning to believe in God, a great stumbling block was the presence of the demands scattered through the Psalms that he should praise God. He did not see the point in all this. Besides, it seemed to picture God as craving for our worship like a vain woman who wants compliments. Lewis goes on to show why he was wrong. Quote, but the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses. Readers praising their favorite poet. Walkers praising the countryside. Players praising their favorite game. Lewis goes on. My whole more general difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying to us as regards the supremely valuable, God, what we delight to do, what indeed we cannot help doing about everything else we value. He concludes this way. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but it completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. Now, if you, if you have a wife, a female, and you look into her eyes and you tell her how pretty she is and how much you love her, they just think you're throwing out a compliment. And they don't get it to a husband who loves his wife. It isn't a compliment to make you feel good. It is the culmination here of my joy. So what Lewis is saying, this is my experience a month and a half ago, floating down that river in the midst of Yosemite Valley with my family and snakes through and all of a sudden there, oh, there's Half Dome again on the left. Honey, look! Isn't that amazing? You don't think about it. Don't think about being commanded to do it. It is just there. Look at that waterfall. See, praising the overwhelming contours, not of Yosemite Valley, but of the Creator and the Savior unfolding in Scripture. It's not just a nice thing you do because I guess I'm a Christian and I'm supposed to do it. The Psalms, they're filled 
with the command, praise the Lord. It's not a suggestion to try it. It's a command that's supposed to permeate everything that we do. Now, over the last almost two years now, working through the book of Hebrews, looking at all the contours of God, the eternal image of God, in His nature, God, the creator of the universe, the second person becoming a human being in order to be the high priest and offer up Himself as the only propitiation that could possibly take away our sins and ascended on high, seated at the right hand of God. For almost two years looking at that, it all leads to this verse. Continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Say that another way. Look at who God is. It's right here in this book. It's not enough. Love what you see of God and thus be overwhelmed with joy and let it come out your mouth. That's our verse. So let's hear it, this exhortation to us in its immediate context. Remember back at verse 8, the writer just said, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, there is complete stability in Jesus, in the work of Christ on the cross, which leads to this in the context. The gospel does not change. And in the context, he says this to them, therefore, don't be duped by false teaching. New, different, strange teachings. And he gets specific in verse 9 about a teaching that many of these Jewish Christians are susceptible to. He's finding out. And he says it this way. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Because it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Now, as we saw last week, this most likely refers to the false teaching that's going around with these unbelieving Jews, that Christians who, who don't follow the food laws or participate, temple still standing, it's before AD 70, or participate in the temple sacrificial system and eat of those sacrificed animals, they cut themselves off from God. It's that kind of teaching that he is responding to in verse 10. We, though, believer, we have an altar from which those who serve in the tent, the temple, they have no right to eat. In other words, these teachers may say, 
Christians, you Jesus lovers, you've been cut off from the altar of God. They may be saying, you have no right, no access to the sacrificial food that can strengthen your heart. The writer says the exact opposite is the reality. We who fled for refuge in Christ, the high priest who offered up himself, we have the one true ultimate altar that those false teachers are cut off from because of their unbelief. And that is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The ultimate sacrifice, the Messiah has come. He offered himself as the final atoning sacrifice outside, not just the walls of the temple, but outside the walls of Jerusalem, 300 yards over there on a little hill. Jesus fulfilled the sacrificial system and ended it. He's saying it's those who who continue to trust in temple sacrifices, animal sacrifices, or libations, or, or vegetables, and trust in kosher diet and circumcision. It is they who have no right to eat at the altar of true justification before God. Forgiveness of all of your sins. But he says, for all whom by God's mercy have come alive to bank their hope, to place their trust in Jesus, in this message of Jesus, in the gospel. He says, there is a new way of life and worship, which is described now in verses 13 to 16. Therefore, let us go to Jesus outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then or therefore, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. There's Christianity in a nutshell. Follow Jesus, suffer with him persecution. That's what he means by outside the camp to bear his reproach. Do that as priests. Priests continually offer up sacrifices. And he names two. What you talk about, what you speak about, what you sing about, the fruit of your lips 
praising His name, and secondly, how you deal with others horizontally, loving them, doing good to them. We'll come to the second one next week. This week, just verse 15. Through Him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge His name. That's not optional. And that is not only for certain psychological makeups. That's the priesthood of all believers. It, it, it is at the essence of the lives of all who are in Christ to offer up sacrifices. Not animals, but to praise God continually with our lips, our mouths, our vocal cords. Notice how he puts it. Offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Then he defines it. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. So praise is not unspoken. It's not unsung. It's articulated through our vocal cords. That's what he means by lips. And this text is not calling people to be hypocrites. Remember Jesus quoting Isaiah? He said about many of his contemporary religious folk, this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me. Conclusion of Jesus, for nothing do they use their lips. In vain do they worship me. So, our text is not calling for lips to speak or to sing that are disconnected from our hearts. It is a heart issue. Glorifying God through the lips connects to where we started this sermon. Our chief end is to glorify God by enjoying. That's the heart issue. Enjoying Him forever. This means we are to make it our ongoing, he says, continually offer our ongoing pursuit is to constantly battle our sinful nature in flesh, to, to let the word of God break through in the work of the Holy Spirit to cause our hearts, no matter what hell or high water is, going on in our lives, that we would find our satisfaction 
ultimately in God as much as we can. And to the extent we do in any given moment, it is to that extent we are glorifying God. The heart filled with God is the root of the visible fruit of the lips that praise His name. Those lips are the fruit of what's happening in the heart. This comes out clearly if you look at verse 14, which comes right before verse 15. For we here in Jerusalem, on earth, we have no lasting city, but we seek. That's the heart. There's the desire. That's the focus within those who love Jesus. We seek the city that's in the future, that is to come. The new heavens, the new earth, the resurrection of the dead, the Savior returning. So that there seeking is a statement about the heart. We don't live for this world. We're aliens in this world. Our hearts are set on the future, the promises of the gospel, the city to come. And now that connects to what comes out of our lips. That's the flow. Notice the word then in verse 15, if you have an ESV. Then it's the word, it's therefore. In the Greek, it's un. Through him, then, or therefore, because you seek that city, therefore, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Verse 14 is the heart issue set on the treasure of who God is to you, not of this world, and because of that, Therefore, let us continually offer up words and songs and discussions that praise how beautiful and good and great God is to me, to you. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the lips speak. That's why we have songs, poems, theological conversations, prayers, repentance and repentant confession. All are created by a heart filled with joy. Because by God's grace, He has shown the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ into, Paul says, our hearts. And that means that a major aspect of the Christian life, of daily sanctification, is our own daily dealing with our hearts because we constantly need heart revivals 
If you're like me, you certainly do. Because we constantly need to repent, we certainly do. We need that in order to come into true, heartfelt, genuine, sacrificial, like on the altar, of praising God. So we need to constantly battle our own sinful desires, the flesh. It's why we, we love to confess our sins to our Father in heaven. That's why we constantly need the Word to, to see as you snake down Yosemite Valley half dome again. The half dome of God and the waterfall over here on this side. Because your heart then starts to expand toward God and praise comes out of our mouths, whether we're alone or corporately. This refers to the heart coming out the mouth, thus speaking or singing what the heart feels, what it thinks. And that's why Sunday morning in here, or in all of the Lord's churches throughout the earth, it's a crucial part of the Christian life. It, it, it means that the corporate goal as we gather together on Sunday morning, when it begins, the point is what? It's to experience together the presence of the Holy Spirit affecting our, our hearts, which manifest themselves through the praises of our lips, through our prayers, through our scripture reading, and especially through singing. That's why we Christians, for thousand couple thousand years. It's right there in the New Testament. Sing! we got a whole songbook in the Bible. That's why we prepare songs. Why? For the purpose of helping our feeble hearts pursue God. We gather not merely to speak to each other. That's what we do for an hour or two or three, however long people stay after church. But in here, for an hour and a half, we gather in order to meet with God vertically. That's why one loving thing we can all do on Sunday morning is prepare our own hearts in the morning before we show up in this building because now our hearts are more expanded. Just think about it. If, if, if the vast majority in local churches showed up already in the presence or the conscious prayerful disposition with God and sit there and wait, 
then they're just itching for the music to begin. Let me let this out. Pull the release valve of praise and adoration. The fruit of the lips praising his name. What a beautiful command. God could give to us creatures nothing more. And if he withheld that command, he would be unloving. We struggle here in our mortal flesh, still sinful, and yet we're different than we were. Because the Holy Spirit invaded our hearts. But there's going to come a time in the resurrection. We will not have this horrific, God-belittling, sinful nature that keeps wanting to rise up. And the greatest pleasure he could possibly give us, this is his love to us, is himself. And as C.S. Lewis wrote... It's not merely, okay, I really feel it, but I guess I can't say anything about it. It is exploding in praise. Now, one more thing before I end. We, got, we feel, feel that exhortation that we have just heard. And notice the first two words at the beginning of verse 15. They're crucial. Through him. And in the Greek, those words are emphatic. Greek word order is not that important because it's a highly inflective language. Suffixes, infixes, prefixes to tell you what it's doing in the sentence. Unlike English, you got a word order is extremely important. So when they want to emphasize something, they just throw it up first. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. The only way we can overflow with genuine, real joy for real salvation is through the blood of of Jesus. Jesus is the reality of what all the Old Testament spoke of. Of the entire Old Testament sacrificial system. It all pointed to that kid who grew up in a town called Nazareth. All Genuine worship is through Jesus. And what I mean in the importance of that, if you're in touch with reality, oh, you deal with guilt. You deal with sin as a Christian. You are utterly undone and will remain undone until death. Nobody is in 
is touch with Joe's sin. Put your name in there. No one is in touch with your own brokenness and hard-heartedness and unworthiness as each of us are of ourselves. So we walk into a worship service on Sunday morning knowing all my thoughts, all my struggles, all my actions. But then we're supposed to hear the words. You, Christian, sinner, believer, come. Come with all your self-consciousness of your undoneness and praise and extol His name. Do this, it's a command, continually, And hear the words through Jesus. Believe the gospel. God put his own son forward as a propitiation. That means his wrath toward you. And it was real. And toward me. I wasn't joking. Look at these two sinners come in here. I'm still amazed. Aren't you guys amazed that we believe in Jesus? Yes. His wrath was poured out on Christ. And that's why we sinners who are saints, who are being saved, can come with genuine hearts and praise His name through Jesus. That's the only way we can have heartfelt praise of God. See, when you come in here and you're not, I just don't know if God's really for me. Maybe He's against me. Christian, this is a temptation for every single true believer. Don't be so arrogant to put yourself up over against God's faithfulness. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and He's righteous to forgive us our sins. Because he'll never deny his son. And his son suffered, bled, and died for you. Therefore, you come in repentance, faith in the gospel. You do it continually through Jesus. That's the point. Through Jesus, offer up a heartfelt praise of God. Remember what he said back at verse 12 there in chapter 13. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate. 
in order to sanctify. That means to set apart. In order to sanctify the people through His own blood. To set the people apart for what? For entering His presence. The presence of a holy, wrathful, merciful God. Think about it. If that there is real to you or to me or to any of us at any given moment, that we're in touch with that reality, then try not Praise His name at that moment. That's what the text is getting at. Try not to praise Him from the heart in a few minutes when we sing amazing grace. Listen to how Paul said this in 2 Timothy 1.9. It's to Christians. Are you a believer? You have faith in Christ. Has the light shone in your heart? Have you been born again? Just talk all kinds of biblical ways. If that's you, this is addressed to you. He saved us. And He called us to a holy calling. Not because of works that we have done, but because of His own Purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Read that for what it says. Feel it and believe it. And try not to praise his name. Here the apostle Peter's description of us Christians in 1 Peter chapter 2. Christians, you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for his own possession. Here comes now the purpose clause. There's a reason. It's how we began this sermon. Why am I that? By no doing of my own. In order that you may proclaim. That means with your lips. In order that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of into His marvelous light. Why? Because God knows that everyone who was called out of their own sin and darkened, dead spirit towards Him, like born into this world, when He brings them into the light, they are snaking down Yosemite Valley and they're seeing texts like that. And they're saying, Praise you! That is the most excellent thing I've ever heard of. 
happened to me in 1981. And it's not supposed to ever to stop happening forever. So let me close with a question. Does your heart seek a city? One that is to come, it's not here. Does your heart seek throughout this week the presence of God? Is there a taste of the reality that Paul wrote about? For me to live down here is Christ. Like what he said in Galatians 2.20, the life that I now live in the flesh. I live I live, I pursue, I'm active. I, I live by faith, trust in Christ. Who, listen to what drove him there. Who loved me, he said. And died for me. To live as Christ and to die, it really is ultimately gain. Do your lips make Jesus look more precious and valuable than anything. Does this passage this morning refer to you? For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Is the fruit of God's amazing grace in our hearts so much that it produces in our hearts the words of that great hymn by John Newton. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Saved. He was a captain of a slave ship. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I, I was blind, but now I see. If that is us, then let's let it be the fruit of our lips. Father, thank you for such an excellent gift of your Son. Oh, I have to believe it was a saying of Paul's that didn't just come out that one time in Romans, but it just was his life that you who did not spare your own son, but delivered him up for us all. How is it possible that you would not freely give us all things that we actually need? So no matter what comes, death or life or cancer or setbacks in any area in life, you will see us through to the end and we do proclaim, come Lord Jesus, because of your amazing grace. Amen. Let us stand. Let it be the fruit of our lips.